This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. On today's episode, I'm excited to do a little interview for you. Um, we have Tom Ord is on the line. Hey, Tom. Hey. Tom is a professor here at uh, NNU in Idaho, uh, somebody who I haven't met in person, but is doing some really cool things in photography. And so I'm, I'm uh, anxious to talk with you about uh, your, your very, 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 very long hike through Idaho uh, <laughs> doing photography. Uh, so Tom, to somebody who hasn't met you, who's Tom Ward? Well, uh, I'm a person who does a lot in theology. I'm actually trained as a theologian, so I teach the big questions at the university. Questions uh, in like philosophy what and... camera should I pick? What's uh, my exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, most the real important big questions. questions in life, right? <laughs> yep, yep. I started uh, photography in high school, and then I picked it up again later in life uh, when I uh, got the opportunity to do a lot of traveling, and then that sort of just developed from there. Awesome. Uh, and traveling you have. Uh, so you hiked the Idaho Centennial Trail. What, what is that? That's a trail that runs from Nevada to Canada through the length of Idaho. How so many all- miles is that? That's the craziest hike ever. Yeah, it's a little under a thousand. Oh, uh, you yeah. hiked a thousand miles. Did you do it all solo? Uh, about 95% solo. I have three daughters and they hike some small sections with me, but the vast majority was me out there alone. How does somebody hike a thousand miles? I mean, I mean, Idaho is for people who haven't come to Idaho, our greatest resource is public lands and the vast majority of Idaho. I mean, there's public land everywhere uh, and two thirds of the state is, is public land it's incredible yeah. as somebody you know when i lived in florida just like trying to go camping somewhere there's there's nowhere to go you know it's <laughs> everything is owned and, and that's the case in most of the united states but idaho we have just an incredible resource of public lands everywhere you know you want to go ride atvs off-roading hiking you can get into the wilderness so far that nobody will ever find you exactly Um, it's really an incredible thing yeah in fact we've not only got a a lot of public land but we've got a wide variety of uh, geography and climate Uh, in the southern part of the state you've got a desert in the area called the owyhees and then you spend uh, the majority of your time hiking through various mountain ranges and forests until you get up way up in the panhandle. And then it's almost a rainforest up there. You know, it looks like the Lord of the Rings with all the, the growth on the trees. It's, it's quite a bit of diversity. Yeah, it really is incredible. And right around Boise, I think a lot of people are are disappointed when they come to Boise because they think of Idaho as this beautiful mountain estate. And Boise, eh, it's mostly sagebrush and kind of, I mean, we have mountains, but they're more of like, more foothills kind of mountains, not like the steep mountains you see in central Idaho or in Utah or anything. Um, but if you drive an hour north or east from Idaho, you get into some, or from Boise, you get into some just incredible, beautiful mountains. Yeah, the Sawtooth are sort of the premier oh, mountains in the middle of the, yeah, they're awesome. Even though they're not the, the tallest, the tallest are actually over in eastern Idaho. And uh, I've done quite a bit of hiking out there as well. What I liked about uh, hearing about your journey is that 
Idaho really is just like super unexplored photographically. Uh, I mean, there are lots of great photographers in the state of Idaho, Idaho, no question, but not nearly as many as we see in a lot of other states. And often when I'm looking at photos online of people traveling crazy distances to go to, you know, beautiful mountain ranges, going to Italy and things, I think, yeah, that could, that could be, that could be the Satchis, no question. Um, And we just, we don't have, it's just, there are a lot of great photography locations that haven't like kind of caught on and been popularized, but it's really an incredible, incredible area. Yeah. I mean, some photographers in other states worry that, you know, the photo they're taking has been taken by tons of people in the exact same spot over and over again. You can be in Idaho in places and take photos that not only no one's ever taken a photo there, but people haven't actually walked there for probably decades and decades. So it's, there's a lot of, uh, unexplored areas in our amazing state. Yeah. And even places that are, you know, semi-popular of the, you know, the beautiful lakes and the sawtooths and stuff, like often I'll, I'll Google and look for images of a certain lake. And I know it's just an incredible spot and you just, you know, you'll see a couple snapshots of people that have hiked through there, but nobody's like gone in and really photographed the place. Uh, it's kind of an exciting thing. Exactly. And I think a lot of people who aren't in Idaho don't realize that we don't actually have a national park in our boundaries. And on one hand, that's kind of a bummer because we don't get the revenue that, you know, national parks can bring with tourism. But on the other hand, it means there's not a lot of people who come here. And so Mm -hmm. if you want some solitude, Idaho is a great place to go. All right. So tell me a little bit about uh, about this idea. You're going to hike a thousand miles and you brought photography gear with you. Um, So where like how long did this take from idea to actually, you know, stepping on a trail? It took about two years. I heard about this trail. I, I'm actually not an Idaho native. I grew up in Washington State. Okay. I'm, as long as you don't say California, people around here won't be chopped too bad. <laughs> Idahoans right. don't like Californians. I don't know what the deal is. California's fine with me, but Idahoans are tough on them. <laughs> so I moved here about 15 years ago, and I th- started thinking, you know, I was doing some hiking. And I thought, I really need to get to know this state of mind. And I saw a a PBS special on this trail called the Idaho Centennial Trail. And I thought, now that's something I need to do. Now, as far as I know, I think there's six people who have hiked the entire trail in one summer. There's some people who do sections, you know, over long periods of time. But it's so long and it's so um, undeveloped. The trails are not well kept. They're not um, taken care of well. And perhaps most uh, difficult, the what we call resupplies in backpacking are very difficult. And, uh, you know, you can't just hike off the trail and go into a little town and buy some stuff and get right back on the trail. Idaho has the two largest unroad uh, or unroad, the roadless, unroaded areas. Yeah. The two largest roadless areas in the lower 48, and those are separated by a single road. So you you go days and days and days without seeing another person, uh, without coming across the road. In fact, I was able to fulfill one of my lifelong dreams. I did some naked backpacking on this trip. (laughs) (laughs) 
because you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and so there's nothing to do. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Uh, <laughs> what about branches and things? <laughs> well, you that's why really I want this. Exactly. You have to be, uh, it didn't last for long because I was constantly or constantly thinking about branches, worrying about mosquitoes, sunburn, uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Take a walk on the wild side. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So what gear did you take for this trip? I mean, obviously, you're packing as light as possible, right? I mean, what, what kind of photography exactly. gear did you bring? Yeah. So it actually took a while for me to pare down and make my decisions on the kind of gear that I wanted to take. Uh, I shoot with a Canon 5D, and I took a Mark II with me on this. So it's a nice SLR camera. I bought a, a holster that allows me to put my camera right in front of me. So that helped with the weight in terms of the backpack. Like a cotton Some, carrier? Yes. Uh, you know, I forgot the name of the brand. I might have it sitting here with me that I could actually give. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh, sorry. <clears throat> oh, Folks who can see this on video, uh, this is what it's called. It's a think tank. Ah, um, Okay. Can you see that very yeah, well? Yeah, it just looks like a kangaroo pouch kind of thing that goes in yeah. front of you. Yeah, All and right. there's a nice double straps. It's yeah, very handy. Uh, it took me a while to decide what to do it for a zoom because, you know, again, weight is a huge issue. Mm -hmm. I like shooting with my 7200 Canon L series, but that is way, way too heavy. Right. And I wanted to have a, a zoom that I could have on the camera while I walked. So I would be ready for Wildlife the animals. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I saw a couple of bears. I saw a couple of wolves, uh, lots of elk, et cetera. So I ended up going with a cam uh, lens that isn't all that uh, amazing, but it did the trick for me. It's a Tamron 80, uh, 28, uh, 300 zoom. Okay. Yeah. I've and, used that. Uh, yeah. It's uh, the quality of the photos aren't amazing, but in terms of weight, in terms of having a zoom, it was sufficient. Sure. But and my did you main, bring a tripod? I did. Yeah, I have a Gitzo, so it's a you know it's a carbon fiber with a, a really right stuff ball head. Maybe five or six pounds total there. Yeah, that was strapped on my backpack. And then my go-to uh, landscape lens was the uh, sixteen thirty-five L series Canon. Uh, I shot most of my photos with that. Man, so you really loaded down. That's that's more gear than I would have expected. Yeah, you know, I I I I didn't. I had to have the landscape lens, and uh -huh. I wanted the had to have the tripod, and then the zoom was there. And actually, I add a little GoPro because I did some uh, video filming as well, and I did some uh, during the naked uh, hike. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> I did some time lapse stuff, so I had some you know small gear related to that, and a few filters. So it was probably maybe 12, 13 pounds total, um, which is quite a bit, but obviously less than you would want if you had one, if you were able to bring all your best lenses on a, a trip like this. Hmm. Okay. So you start out, what time of year do you start the hike? 
Well, I decided I needed to get my body in shape for this thing. And uh -huh. so I, I also wanted to uh, be in other parts of Idaho. So I did about four hikes prior to beginning this one to kind of work with my gear. And yeah, because a thousand pounds just isn't enough. Or a thousand, a thousand miles <laughs> just isn't enough. It's just not yeah. enough. We got to add a couple hikes on this. Yeah, actually, I ended up going about 1,200 total that summer. Wow. But uh, I started the Centennial Trail on June 4th down at the Nevada-Idaho border, and then I headed northward. I took a few breaks here and there on weekends and one week in particular for a family vacation. But um, I started the 4th of June and ended uh, August 17th. Wow. June 4th to August 17th, hiking. I, I can't even imagine. What, I, I mean, you're lonely and bored, right? Yeah, it's, it's really weird the things that your mind thinks about, you know. I was uh, singing uh, rock and roll songs from the 1980s that I'd totally forgotten, but up there by yourself, you know, you're you're having all these conversations, these this music's coming back into you're your head. You're having conversations, so you're naked, hiking through <laughs> the forest, talking to yourself, walking 1,200 miles. I mean, this just reminds me a lot of Forrest Gump. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah, you have a lot of time to think and reflect and you know, and actually I imagined when I went into it that I would take or make more photos than I actually did, but I averaged about 17 miles a day of hiking and that's mostly through mountains. And so um, you know, it's not like what I normally do when making photos. I go out and I spend lots of time. I had I spent less time than I thought because I just had to make the mileage every day. Right. And so, um, you know, sunrise, sunset, and then things that would happen during the day that would be interesting. And how many miles a day do you cover? I averaged about 17. My longest was 17. 35. Wow. That's a good uh, hike. Yeah. So, uh, that was actually near the end for about a, 10 days. I had Giardia in the panhandle uh, of Idaho. Did you and not so filter that, the water or what? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I knew it was a filtering issue uh, up on the Montana-Idaho border. There's very little water, you know, because you're following ridge lines. Mm -hmm. And I, I got some water to place that I'm pretty sure was where I got the Giardia. Oh, man. Yeah, um, not fun at all. So you're sick, hiking alone. Uh, how, about, how about, what about batteries? I mean, you're stopping to shoot, but I mean, obviously you're going to have to recharge as, as you hit cities and things. Yeah. So what I did is I took two batteries for my camera and a recharger. And, uh, I was, I didn't, again, I didn't shoot as much as I thought I would. And so those batteries, the two of them could last me about a week. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, well, on a DSLR. Know, yeah. They last a long time. Yeah. It's amazing really. Um, and I'm not using the flash, so I don't have to use, worry about those kind of cameras. Now the, uh, GoPro would go dead pretty quick. Mm -hmm. So, um, that, that was one downside. I decided not to bring extra batteries there, but, uh, all in all, I really didn't have battery problems because I brought along my charger. So the, the rare occasions that I could, you know, charge, I had it with me and those are pretty light. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really didn't have battery problems. I initially thought I would bring along a, um, solar charger for my batteries and I actually bought some and tried that out. But when I, I discovered that I could go a long time on my uh, SLR camera batteries, I didn't, I didn't bring that with me. Okay. Yeah. And that, that, that seems to make sense. I mean, for a week, you know, a DSLR batteries last, will last a lot of shots. 
Yeah. Especially in summer when it's not cold, you mm-hmm. know, um, and I, I was really fortunate. I had very little rain that summer. So, um, and I, the nights weren't all that cold. So I, I wasn't in any big problems. So how, how much food and water did you bring with you? I mean, you can stop for water in some places pretty frequently as you're going yeah. through the mountains and in the desert, not so frequently. Right. Um, so what'd you do with that? So a big part of hiking the Idaho Centennial Trail is planning your resupplies. And I planned about 14 of them. And those varied. Some of them I was able to send packages to ranger stations in the middle of nowhere. A couple of them I had some plane drops in the uh, the uh, Frank Church wilderness. Some I went before. A plane of like flies over you in the morning and pushes a box out and. Well, they. <laughs> not, not quite like that. <laughs> they they flew into a ranch or a ranger station and dropped it off, and then I got to the ranch or ranger station to pick it up. So this is um, awesome. Yeah, I like and, that. And then a few other places, especially in the south, I drove into some and hiked into some spots and planted water. Although you that was planted actually, it. In other words, I I had like gallon jugs and I hid them in rocks. Oh, okay. uh, near the trail. And then when I would come by, I could have those, the, the water there because you just can't access the water well in the Southern part of the state. And but actually I made a big, I had a, I made a miscalculation there. I didn't put enough water and I had to drink out of some, some cattle, um, troughs. Oh, super, super gross. You gotta be pretty thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. And then I made some mistakes in the middle of the the state. Um, well, and yeah, should I tell you this? All right, I'll tell of you. Of course, uh, we do. Yeah, we need the inside uh, scoop. I had to drink my own urine at oh, one point. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not something I would recommend or do again if I was in the same situation. You're pretty desperate then. What exactly. what happened? How how did you get in the spot? How I I just. I started up on this ridge and the ridge, you know, when you're on ridges, there's no water coming to you. It's all below you. Uh-huh. And so you have to make a calculation. Do you want to hike to the bottom and find some water and then have to hike all the way back up or nope. do you keep going? Yeah. You don't want to do that. So you just keep going and keep going and keep going. In this scenario, I just couldn't find anything. In fact, uh, some clouds came over. I put out my uh, tent hoping that it would rain and I could catch some rainwater, and that didn't work. Uh, um, so I was desperate. I was very desperate. By the time I finally found water, I was cramping up, and uh, but I survived. And I don't recommend this to anyone, <laughs> uh, not only because it tastes lousy. I don't know that you really get uh, the kind of fluid. Yeah, so you really I know you've you Googled want. this after you got home. And this is one of those questions that we all wonder when we're, <laughs> when yeah. we're dying, <laughs> dying somewhere yes. in the desert. Uh, so how did it work out? Did you feel refreshed after that? Definitely not. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know. I don't know how I can show any scientific evidence for this, but. I don't think I benefited from the uh, from drinking my own urine. So, if I was in the same exact situation again, I wouldn't take the time to to, to try that. And does it make you sick? It didn't make me sick. Uh, it didn't taste good. There's lots of salt. And but, um, did, did you purify it? Did you filter it? No. Oh, because you didn't no. want it in your filter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that made. This is an awesome adventure. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think of life as an adventure, and this was an adventure in particular through the mountains with the camera and 
thinking about my life and you know the meaning of life and the big questions, all those sorts of things. All right, I wanted to I want to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, okay. what, what you learned from the trail, uh, kind of what photos you got, what uh, you learned photographically um, in the second half. But before we do that, we want to take a second and thank our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Canon. You may love Canon cameras and have known Canon for that, but also they have some really incredible training available for you. You can join Canon and some of the top portrait photographers in a city near you. Canon Explorers of Light will guide you through the step-by-step process of refining your style, telling a story, and building relationships with and posing your subjects, mastering technical skills, and marketing your talents. Each instructor will demonstrate the gear they love to use and how to get the very best results with your gear, whatever gear you own. They'll also show you little-known tricks that you can use to get the best performance out of your camera, optimizing light, and getting stunning portraits. In addition to a day with, a, with learning from a Canon Explorer of Light, you'll get exclusive discounts on Canon portrait gear, PDF guides, and online class discounts, a chance to touch and try the latest Canon cameras, as well as your tech questions answered by an on-site Canon expert. Register now and learn more at canon.us slash learnportraits. That's canon.us slash learnportraits. So as you're hiking down the down the trail, uh, I mean, I would just be incredibly lonely. I mean, I would I would I would listen to podcasts for a couple days and then I would just rip the earbuds out of my head. I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, and then things would get lonely. I would start getting bored. And I, I, and I, I would stop. I would freak out, I think, with that much silence. What, what do you do with that much silence while you're hiking a thousand miles? Yeah, you know, I don't think I ever got lonely on that trip. And that sounds kind of weird because, like, I'm not an introvert kind of person. You know, I'm... I, I do a lot of speaking and traveling and I've direct lots of events, et cetera. Uh, but I never felt lonely in part because I was doing a lot of thinking about, uh, you know, what I was seeing around me, thinking about my photography opportunities, thinking about my life and my family. I have a wife and three daughters, you know, thinking about what I thought were the big issues in life. So lots of time to think. And then I journaled some as well. And so that sort of, allowed me to have some uh, record of what I was thinking along the way. So what'd you come up with? I mean, you're a theologian. You spent months alone on the trail. Uh, do you feel like you learned anything, gained anything from the experience? Yeah, I th- there's quite a few things. Uh, a few I might share. Uh, one, you know, you probably know this in, from your own experience. When people see my photographs in general, I show them my best photographs, you know, the, the amazing parts of nature. And mm-hmm. they can easily get the impression that even around here in Boise and Nampa, this is just an incredibly beautiful place because I've taken photographs of Lake Lowell or some, you know, little podunk place. And they look really great because I've positioned them well. And when I was hiking, I was struck by how ugly some parts of the na- of the world are, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a big burn or something like that, or, or, or just mundane. And uh, as a person who believes in God and believes God is a creator, it makes me ask the questions that uh, most people ask, uh, not only why are things good sometimes, but also why are things bad sometimes. 
what we call the problem of evil. And uh, instead, most of the time we think about that in terms of some horrible tragedy, like what happened recently in Las Vegas. But those are oftentimes the kind of tragedies we think about in terms of what humans do to each other. What about evil or ugliness in the natural world? So I thought a lot about uh, God's role in creating both beauty and, and being behind what seems to me to be pretty ugly. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting interesting insight. I don't know if I, I really would have thought of that. Usually we do just think about the, the beauty of nature and things. Yeah. Well, I think another thing, too, is, you know, a lot of people who believe in God, they'll see a a beautiful sunset or something like that. And they'll say, oh, man, this just proves that God exists. And to me, I don't think of nature as some kind of a proof that there's a God. I mean, I believe in God. I think God is behind the good things in the world. But instead of thinking that the beautiful sunset is somehow a proof for God, I think of nature more as a kind of a canvas that makes me wonder about the artist who created the piece. And so instead of a, I think of it as kind of a theology of nature, a, a, a way in which I might think about God as I look about at the uh, world around me, rather than some kind of you know proof and argument that there is a God because of the world the way it is. Okay, so seeing the works and uh, trying to uh, kind of roll that back to learn about the, the creator of it. If yeah. uh, someone looks at your photos, the works that you made uh, along the trail, what are, the, what are they going to see about you and the way that you saw the trail? Uh, what, what did you find to photograph what was interesting and uh, what captured your eye? Yeah, I find myself drawn to photos that have ambiguity uh, darkness, slimmers of light, and wildness. So a photo that has uh, tree roots growing out in weird ways and limbs going off in strange directions, uh, a kind of a sunset that isn't with the sun bursting through, but is just a, a slimmer of light against a chaos of ferns or bushes. Um, I really like um, rocks that have in uh, weird shapes to them. So f if someone looked at my photography uh, and they said, okay, I've looked at his stuff enough, this is sort of his stereotypical kind of photo, it would be something that suggests lack of domestication, something untamed, something wild, something that can't be easily controlled. So not a minimalist composition, it sounds like. Seems like no. a, a lot of a lot of nature in your photos, and I would agree as I as I look through the uh, through the photos that you've taken. Uh, so what what do you do with that? Because often a very wild uh, scene is is difficult to tame into a composition and make everything feel solid. Yeah, um, I think some of it's intuitive. I, I I feel like when I'm in the groove when I'm out photographing and I've made, you know, some photos and I've sort of gotten myself into the experience. It takes me a little while to, to really start to see the scene. I almost feel like my eyes kind of dilate that I can see forms and shapes and light in new ways. And when I do that, I, you know, I sort of throw out the rule of thirds, but sort of intuitively probably, use it in my photography. And then I ask myself, um, what about this composition 
is going to emphasize what I think is most interesting in this particular frame. And then, of course, the answer to that varies, but it usually means that uh, what's interesting is off-center uh, somehow in juxtaposition to other elements in the frame. Interesting. Um, so, so you're taking the the photos. Are you, are you mostly just shooting in the morning and the evening? I mean, kind of right where you camped, or are you uh, shooting Often. a lot during the day as well? You know, probably most of it's morning and evening. But you know, when you're walking 17 miles on average a day, you're going to come to places where you want to make a photograph, right? And then you're going to have to make decisions on how to do that given the light you have. And uh, more on the on the I guess more of, of just the experience itself. What did the family think about this? I mean, you were gone for a long time. I was, yeah. It's a it's a testament to my incredible wife that she would be uh, so supportive of this. You know, they made some sacrifices for me. Now, my my kids are a little older. Uh, they were all in high school or college at the time, and so you know they didn't need me around the house as much. But my wife uh, made some sacrifices, not only in terms of me being away, but she did some driving, you know, to, to, to pick me up in certain times. Um, so I'm fortunate to have a supportive network. And how did you communicate with them? Well, actually, uh, at the beginning, I had a, um, oh, uh, a GPS slash Oh, what's the name of it? Uh, anyway, a way I could send her text from time to time. Uh -huh. And it was a one-way communication. Uh, what was really cool is I hooked this up so that um, it also posted on my Facebook page. And so I remember the day I ran across a wolf and I sat down on the trail and pecked out a message that I just saw a wolf. And on my Facebook page, it instantly was posted. And not only that I what I said in that I've seen a wolf, but also my precise location. And although I couldn't read what people said in response, folks who were following my journey really got a kick out of seeing or reading these sorts of, uh, of updates and the exact location in which I was sending them. Huh. Interesting. Uh, so, so you're like, Hey, just saw wolf, you know, bear gnawing on my head. And you weren't worried about what your wife was going to say about this. <laughs> I was worried. And actually about halfway through the trip, we had a real major issue. Uh, my my uh, communication thing, my Delorme, that's what it is, a Delorme, it uh, stopped working. And so I had this pattern of sending my wife a message every day and all of a sudden she's not getting any messages. And so she's starting to freak out, you know, ah. there's no way she can find me. I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, she realized that my next resupply, uh, a former student of mine was going to drive in and meet me at a location. And so she located this student and said, you know, let me know if he's still alive. <laughs> and uh, I was. And, and so from then on out, I couldn't uh, communicate with her in the same way. But at least she knew I was still alive and kicking. Huh, okay. So it, it had just stopped working. Yeah. And, yep. and did you know it wasn't working? No, I didn't. No. So you continued to send messages. She just had no idea. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. Well, uh, to somebody who wants to go on a crazy uh, photography adventure uh, like this one, or whatever uh, whatever different adventure they uh, that they dream up, what's your advice to them? I think my advice is to think about 
why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I don't know that there's any money to be made on an adventure like this. Uh -huh. um, so if you're in it for the money, it's unlikely. Maybe you can figure out some things that I never figured out, but it's unlikely this is going to be a financial windfall. Uh, I think you probably also need to get in shape. Think about what kind of equipment you want to bring, not only in terms of the camera gear, but also the uh, backpacking equipment. Uh, so I think you need to, you can't do this on a whim. You have to plan ahead, get in shape, buy the things you want to buy, and then do a lot of trial and error with the equipment you get. Yeah, uh, you really would want to be certain everything is, is nailed down before you begin the journey, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, Tom, thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with us here on the on the podcast. Uh, where can people see your photos and follow the, the things that you do? Well, I have a website, thomasjord.com. The ord is O-O-R-D. And uh, you can find a lot of my uh, material, really in terms of my photography, um, you know, probably my Facebook page. Although I have 5,000 uh, followers, so you won't be able to to be uh, come one of those but if you if you check out some of that stuff you can see uh, some of my photographs there very cool well thanks for being on the show and listeners thank you for your download and your support of everything improved photography does and we'll see you in another seven days